With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another episode of the Underdog Football Show. I'm Josh Norris. Thrilled for you to be here. So on Thursday's episode, we went through picks one through five, the experts who know those teams extremely well, to give you the details on what to expect from those early first round picks and the rest of those teams' drafts. It's all in the hopes of you crushing your mock draft. And so that means today it's picks six through 10. We have Safa Dean, the Miami Dolphins, Chris Burke, the Detroit Lions, Joe Person, the Carolina Panthers, Ben Albright, the Denver Broncos, and close with Jeff Cavanaugh and the Dallas Cowboys. This is just the first show of this week. We'll have another one actually on Tuesday, a mock draft just between Hayden and I. We go back and forth with each pick with the goal of creating the perfect mock draft, but also almost like a, a NFL draft news brain dump to talk through multiple scenarios and other possible picks as well. A couple of other quick notes. The Rookie and Sophomores Tournament launched just five days ago on Underdog. It's already 78% full. You are savages. I absolutely love it. So if you haven't tried it out, you're going to love it. It's just quarterbacks, running backs, and wide receivers slash tight ends. Four-person drafts. They go super quick, and they're a lot of fun. So go and try it out. Use promo code Josh Norris. Also, the rest of this week, for content purposes, we'll have a live stream on Wednesday night to go through the final draft notes ahead of Thursday's first round. That'll be on youtube.com slash C slash underdog fantasy. It's our YouTube channel. I'm sure you figured that out. So go and subscribe, get ready for that because we have a whole bunch of content on the way. I'll actually be near Atlanta, Georgia on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday with the draft network crew, a part of their live draft coverage. Yeah. Super excited. We've had a few of those people on the show. I know a lot of you love their content. I do too. And I'm friends with a lot of them as well. So truly excited to be with the Draft Network on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And then next Monday, I'll be down in Miami for a live stream, but more on that announcement later. Just go ahead and subscribe to the Underdog Fantasy YouTube channel. All right, let's kick this show off. The Miami Dolphins have already moved all over the board from 3 to 12, back up to 6. They have four top 50 selections, 18, 36, and number 50 overall. We bring in Safa Dean of the South Florida Sun Sentinel. Safa, let's talk about number six first. There had to have been a reason that Chris Greer, Brian Flores wanted to move back to 12, but then back up to six for someone for a position. What do you think it's for? Yeah, it has to be a playmaker. It has to be a wide receiver or a tight end. Um, you know, obviously Kyle Pitts is, is one of the best pass catchers in this draft, and you kind of lump him in with Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, and Devontae Smith. You know, the Dolphins obviously saw the value in trading away number three. You kind of get out of the quarterback mix there. But if you stayed at number 12, who knows which player would have been gone? Possible the Carolina Panthers could pick up a receiver. Detroit Lions need a receiver. Those teams are at seven and eight, respectively. So honestly, I, I really think the Dolphins really try to get in front of some teams that they thought would get receiver. Getting back in the top 10 was important. What's the point of having a number three pick if you don't get to pick a player that's that good? And even if they had to trade away an extra first round pick to get back up to six, there's obviously a player that they believe is worth it. So let me talk through a scenario real quick. What if it's three quarterbacks to start, Cal Pitts at four, Jamar Chase at five, 
So this is, in my opinion, probably the worst way that the, the draft board could go for the Dolphins. Um, and, and they're probably hoping that somebody takes Penny Sewell, whether it's, you know, Atlanta or, 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 or number five, Cincy. And I think most of all, too, you're also hoping that maybe another team comes up to four and gets that quarterback quickly. But if Pitts and Chase are off the board, the Dolphins kind of have a lot of options here. They can trade down with some teams, but also, like we said, there's a really good chance the player that they want will come off the board if they trade back down. Um, If I'm the Dolphins, I stay at six and I take Jalen Waddell. You know, he's probably the most dynamic playmaker in this draft, and it's hard to kind of pass up on Devontae Smith. Um, You know, Jalen Waddell has comparisons to Tyreek Hill. He's a home run hitter. He's already played with Tua Tunga-Vailoa. Um, I think Jalen Rodder will be the pick if Chasen and Pitts are off the board. But if they're on the board, it's a whole other story. I think that there's a lot of news that a lot of teams have Waddle over Devonta Smith. It's probably a weight issue. It's also probably just because Jalen Waddle moves <clears throat> so differently than everyone else. Moving down to pick 18, I think that's also a spot where they can possibly move up if they find somebody that's falling. What are the other team needs? Obviously, once they've drafted another playmaker, their receiver core is already way set. Maybe it's an offensive lineman. Maybe it's another defensive player. What do you think? You know, I don't think they, they kind of move up from 18. I think they stand pat there just because, you know, I don't know if they want to spend a third-round pick, second-round pick to kind of move up in the order. Um, although I would love, you know, if they got up to, to go get Minka Parsons or somebody like that, that would be an amazing move. But um, edge rushers, obviously, probably for the, the biggest need for the Dolphins. Um, they got rid of Kavan, Noy, and Shaq Lawson. But also, I don't really know if any of these edge rushers might be better than Najee Harris from Alabama. There's a lot of edge rushers in this class, you know, Jalen Phillips, Greg Rousseau, um, Quiddy Page. I think Quiddy Page is on the board. You definitely consider him. But um, if he's gone by 18, I definitely try to start the running back. Um, I try to start that cycle a little bit early this year at 18, only because the Dolphins look. J.K. Dobbins was on the board at number 35. He got taken by the Ravens and, and the Dolphins were on the phone with him. Um, right as soon as he got picked up uh, by the Ravens, one pick before the Dolphins selected at 36 last year in the second round, there was about six or seven running backs that went in the first you know, three rounds of that draft, and the Dolphins had the most picks of the draft, um, got to a Tonga Vailoa, got some linemen, but they did not get a running back at all. So I think the Dolphins don't mess around here at 18. I think they go and take Najee Harris. Um, you know, maybe it's a little bit more value. Maybe, maybe it doesn't speak to new conventional wisdoms of how we think of how we value the running back position. But if I'm the Dolphins, I go get a receiver and I go get a running back. And if they both happen to be from Alabama and play with Tua Tungavailoa before, <laughs> then so be it. But I'm trying to set up my offense for the next five seasons at least. So let's let's talk about that running back spot. Because you seem to believe and you keep throwing out Najee Harris's name. Could it be someone like Travis Etienne instead? A different type. I mean, just more explosive and more juice. And if you have Devontae Parker Will Fuller, Jalen Waddle, who we just claimed is going to go there at number six. I mean, that's that's just so much explosion on one offense. Yeah, I still think Najee's kind of the first running back taken off the board, though. Okay. I think Travis Ntn maybe. I, I wouldn't say his senior year was a disappointment by any stretch. He, he was an incredible running back at Clemson. And Najee Harris is kind of just a monster all in, in his own, man. I, I think he um, he's in a dynamic receiver out of the backfield. Um, I think a lot of people kind of underestimate that portion of his game. But he's played with Tua Tungavaloa before, and, and these kids, they kind of had Tua and Najee Harris, they kind of had a love fest together in Alabama. <laughs> Best friends. Tua has said, you know, he believes Najee Harris is him and another body cohesiveness that the Dolphins kind of want to have on their team altogether. You want to have players that want to live together, ride together, play together, and, and if Najee Harris can be that for Tua Tungavaloa in the Dolphins' offense, I think that's where Miami goes. Going to Tua, he honestly had a, a pretty bad rookie season. Obviously, there's a lot of context that go, goes into that. What specifically do you think Tua is working on this year? Is it just getting more aggressive? Is it speeding up his his speed inside the pocket? Is it just simply just getting him more weapons? What do you think Brian Flores is looking at for Tua in, in year two? You know, I don't, I, I'm kind of one of those people that probably didn't think it was that bad. The fact that, you know, he didn't complete a pass longer than 35 yards last year, really bad. Um, if you're looking at the fact that that's probably the only thing I would say that's bad, though, that he didn't stretch the field or didn't really have confidence in his receivers. You know, at the end of the year, he's playing with backups of the backups and guys that are not his starters. And so when you're Tua Tonga-Vailoa and your job is to protect the football and not turn the ball over as per direction of Coach Brian Flores, you kind of hold on to the ball a little bit more and you're maybe you're a little bit more ten- cautious of, of how you're moving the football there. Um, Tua's definitely got a stretch of field here, but gained some chemistry with his receivers and, and, and you know, and his running back targets here on offense. I think that could go a long way for him. All right, this is what I've learned in this conversation. All right, Safed, tell me if I've taken my notes and I'm, I'm nailing my quiz at the end. 
Number six, most likely a pass catcher. Number 18, possibly a defensive player, but maybe this is when they avoid that J.K. Dobbins-like moment last year and invest in running back. Then you Uh have picks 36 as defensive players, ones that you know Brian Flores can use. To me, it was fascinating that you suggested they invested in offensive line last year, and that might not be something this year. It's also fascinating to me that this is a major statement of confidence around Tua. I mean, you are sitting at number three, where a quarterback class, unlike any other, that might have five first-rounders in a very long time, right? You're continuing to build around him constantly with all these pass-catching weapons. So the in-house belief in Tua must be great. But then there's also that little piece in the back of my head, Safet, that says, well, all these moves that they're making, they still have some picks in the future too. So if it doesn't work out, you can build this great system around him that you can then target and prioritize someone who can come in and maybe do better than him and what better than Tua has shown so far. Fair? Yeah, very fair. I, w- I would say that's very fair. I think, look, Tua Tungavailo has kind of always been the plan. I mean, there's a reason why Tank for Tua took over, you know, the NFL and college football <laughs> world for two years, even when he had the massive hip injury. But And I think now is about getting him the pieces and letting us all see what kind of offense they can build. Hayden, after talking with this group, I feel like we have a pretty good handle on what's going to happen with the top six selections. I keep going back in my head, though. I have no earthly idea what the Detroit Lions are going to do at number seven. So in order to figure that out, we welcome in Chris Burke of The Athletic. I've known Chris for a very long time. I know he's going to help me figure this out. So, Chris, what is Detroit going to do at number seven? This might be the end of our professional friendship. here. <laughs> <laughs> looking for an answer. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, sort of talking about this um, with Nick Baumgartner, who covers the Lions with me over over there yesterday. Um, I, th- I think the first and foremost is, is there a quarterback that changes the conversation for them? Because I don't mm. think they want to take a quarterback. I think they want to build everything else up. But is Lance or Fields that guy that if he's there, they just throw out the rest of their plans and go? So that's the first thing. And if it's not a quarterback, I, I think their preference – would be to trade back, keep stocking up picks. Option three, if <laughs> they stay put. And then I think the top two names there would be um, Jamar Chase and whichever offensive tackle they have higher. I, I would guess it's Sewell, but uh, you know, it, it, without being in that room, it's hard to say. So I, that's <laughs> I don't know that that answers your question, but uh, that's sort of what's on the table for them. It's one where they have so many holes, and also it's a totally new regime that it's so difficult to know which direction they can go in. So maybe the best way to start is who's making the decisions. Like Dan <laughs> Campbell is obviously a first-time head coach. And I, I know he was you know, an interim head coach before, I believe. But then Brad Holmes comes from the Los Angeles Rams, was a Southeast area scout for a very long time. Uh, what, who do you think is the ultimate word in that draft room? Yeah, I mean, they've tried to pitch this idea that everyone has equal say, which we know eventually you can't do that. Eventually someone's got to make the call, and it's going to be Holmes. Um, But I think it's interesting. This is always the case when you have these, especially GM changes. You know, he doesn't have his systems not fully in place. It's another year where a lot of it's been virtual. They haven't really – they brought over – you know, he hired John Dorsey – um and ray agnew like guys that he has some familiarity with but dorsey's you know he's not coming out of that ram system he's his own guy very much so uh, i'm not entirely sure you know what the pecking order is going to be when it push comes to shove with the lat you know they're on the clock they have to make the decision i mean it's going to be holmes writing the name on the card but uh, i think there will learn a lot even at number seven about who's making these calls and who's sort of uh, driving this rebuild but yeah you're right I mean it, this is it, it's sort of exploratory we don't really know where they're going to go with things if it's going to look exactly like what the Rams did or like what Dorsey's teams did um, I don't know I mean I think Dan Campbell will pitch in obviously uh, on some of the evaluations and and the meetings and all that but I I doubt he's making the final call on things let's assume that it's Justin Field isn't like blowing them away and then they would take them at seven, if he falls to that situation, how long do you think Jared Goff is going to be the starter? What, like, what do you think they, when they traded for Jared Goff, was that a one year situation? Was that a multi year situation? Are they actually serious about trying to give him the starting job long term? Because from the outside, it seems like they took on 
a draft pick to take that that contract. And to yeah. me, that signals that maybe he's just a one or two year uh, starting quarterback and nothing beyond that. I think it's a two year window with him and the contract he has sort of sets it up that way too, especially, you know, they, they restructured it, but it didn't necessarily yep. change the the window on it. I think it's two years. I mean, I think ideally he is their guy, you know, he steps in he's awesome. He plays really well for them this year. He buys into what they're trying to do, you know, knowing that he's going to be four and 13 or whatever it is this year, you know, he plays really well and they can sort of build this offense around him. I mean, I think he could work pretty well with Anthony Lynn as his offensive coordinator with Deandre Swift. You know, they got some pieces, but I think it's two years. And I think that's why they're not rushing into quarterback this year. I don't know that they'd rush into quarterback next year. I think they're sort of looking at it as when these picks they got in that trade expire, that's sort of when they need to be ready to compete. So you've got three drafts really to figure out how to move forward at that position. And um, But they're comfortable in golf. I mean, from the moment they traded him for him, their position, you know, on the record and, you know, sources talking about that team has been, he's going to be their starting quarterback in week one. And so I guess we'll see, you know, yeah. if Justin Fields changes that, uh, they're not married to him took off long-term, but I think they'd like him to be an answer at least for a couple of years. And I, I guess they, their biggest hope is for someone else to fall in love with one of the two quarterbacks. If there's one left on the board, still there uh, at number seven. Okay. Before we move on from that seventh pick, Let's do a little hypothetical here, okay? I'm looking at the roster right now. It's rough, but at least on the <laughs> defensive side of the ball, you have names like Trey Flowers. You have Michael Brockers. You have, obviously, top, what, five selection last year in, in Jeff Okuda. Um, you have some players on the defensive side of the ball. On offense, this wide receiver room, it's barren. I mean, you bring in free agents like Tyra Williams and Brashad Perryman. I know you mentioned offensive line. But there are some players and investments there, too, in previous years. You know, Taylor Decker, Frank Ragnow were first-round picks. You have Jonah Jackson in the third round, a fairly sizable contract previously to, to Big V. So let's say – I know this is extended. Let's say Jamar Chase is gone off the board by, by pick number seven. Maybe Jalen Waddell's gone by pick number seven. What do you think the likeliest two outcomes are, either a trade back or a player there at number seven? I think it'd be a trade back or Sewell um, or Sl- like I said, Sewell or Slater. I don't to know. To play right tackle? Do. I think so. Um, okay. And I, I, you know, they, they've said for Anthony Lynn, one of the first things he said after they hired him an offensive coordinator was, I, I like what we have here, but we needed more tackle depth. We need another tackle. <laughs> and they haven't really found one. They've talked about playing Vitae at right guard, which maybe that could, I mean, that could work, especially if they want to run the ball a lot, but he, was never healthy last year. I mean, it was foot and concussions. I mean, he was banged up the whole time. So I don't know how much you count on that. But um, one of the big reasons I think that they will look offensive line is because, you know, this talk of, you know, laying a foundation, all that stuff. But they have an opportunity with some of those guys you mentioned. I mean, Decker's a pro bowler. Frank Ragnow is one of the best centers in football. Jonah Jackson could be pretty good. You drop in Slater or Sewell or someone on that right side, Suddenly, you've got a team that can run the football a lot. You can protect the quarterback. You can run play action. And that's sort of the basis for everything you do moving forward. So I think that that certainly will play into their consideration as they look at this draft. So the, last year, they invested a lot into DeAndre Swift. And he just really started breaking out later in the year once Adrian Peterson kind of cooled off. Jamal Williams, I think, is an actual NFL caliber like running back. I think he's like a pretty good backup. I don't think he's just going to be a backup. Do you think that he's going to eat into DeAndre Swift's workload at all? Or do you think DeAndre Swift is somebody that could touch the ball 20 times per game? I think Swift could touch the ball 20 times per game. I mean, I think one of the things that I'm most interested to see once they get going, you know, they wouldn't really use multiple backs in their with their old regime. They wouldn't put on Johnson, in, for example, and DeAndre Swift or Peterson and Swift out there together. I think there's an opportunity, especially looking at this roster. You mentioned the receivers. They don't even really have a slot receiver right now, unless you're playing Quintez Cephas there as sort of a big slot, or you're playing Hunter Bryant there, uh, who they signed as an undrafted free agent last year. So there's an opportunity for Swift, Jamal Williams to sort of bump out there and play some slot receiver reps. And I think that they will do that. You know, they really want to uh, play with some speed at the skill positions. They want to use the play action, like I mentioned. So that's a space where they can have some 
create some mismatches. I think, like you said, Jamal Williams is a really good running back and he can be a three down guy and Swift. We've seen what he can do. So I think that those two and TJ Hawkinson, you know, as you look at the roster, those are really the three guys that I think could end up handling a bulk of the workload. And then you kind of mix in, uh, you know, Williams and Par- Tyrell Williams and Perriman and, and things changed obviously if you go draft Jamar chase, but as things stand right now, I think it's Hawkinson Swift and Jamal Williams are your three surest bets on that offense. Sorry to keep bringing this up, but it, <laughs> it, it is notable to me that you just keep saying Jamar Chase and not Devontae Smith. You don't think Devontae Smith is, is in the realm of possibility here? I, I do. I mean, I just sort of was going on. I mean, The I number one wide receiver out there. Yeah, right. And yeah. I, I think Jalen Waddell, just based on what we've seen them do in three, four months, they really want to be fast at those skill mm-hmm. positions uh, on both sides, really. I think they want more speed on defense, too, which – it'd be hard to get slower than they were under the Matt Patricia regime. But, uh, you know, they, they really want to prioritize guys who can just go. And I think Jalen Waddle certainly fits that. And we know what Devonte Smith can do. So yeah, I wouldn't rule out anyone there. Um, if chase goes five and Waddle goes six and, you know, I think they'd look maybe at Smith. I think they'd look for sure at Kyle Pitts too, if he's there. So yeah. I didn't mean to, you know, cross anyone off the list, but I think, you know, chase for what they need. They really need a number one wide receiver first and foremost. And I think uh, Jamar Chase is their best option there if he's available. I'm just trying to win this mock draft challenge, Chris. Hopefully you don't <laughs> hate not, me I'm for it. Helping. Okay. But no, helping. you are. You are. So 41, 72, one-on-one. You mentioned slot wide receivers. Hey, good for them. There's a whole <laughs> bunch in this class. Right. I mean, you have the likes of Elijah Moore, who might be at the end of round one, Terrace Marshall in that second round, Rondale Moore maybe at pick 41. Even if we look at 72, one-on-one, like an Amari Rogers. Again, this draft class, and I would say even this roster has plenty of holes, but for a team that is trying to like rebuild, only having six selections yeah. might be the biggest indicator for them to move back from number seven. Yeah, for sure. And they don't have anything in round six or seven either. I mean, I think they do want to stockpile picks. And it, we always talk about the first round pick getting moved. You know, they're picking high in round two. They're picking high. Like, I think they're going to move something at some point yeah. and try to add picks. But yeah, slot receiver is really interesting. Dwayne Eskridge is a couple hours down the road from them. You know, Jalen Darden uh, is another guy that sort of fits what they need. So there's a lot of possibilities there. And that's sort of one of the interesting things about how the depth of this draft class lines up with what the Lions need. Cause they, you know, you look and wide receiver looks pretty good. Slot wide receiver looks pretty good. Top around two, if they don't take Sewell or Slater in the first, certainly you can find a tackle at 41 uh, and move from there. But when are you addressing the defense? You got to take someone yeah. on defense at some point. And so that's where it gets a little tricky because you could argue for, uh, you know, even doubling up on wide receiver in, in their first three or four picks and taking a tackle, but then you're sort of in the same hole you were at defensively. The Carolina Panthers own the number eight, number 39, and 73 overall picks in the top 100. We had to bring on Joe Person of The Athletic, someone who's covered the Panthers for a very long time. I wouldn't say this, but at least since I was in high school, Joe, so thrilled you can be here. We caught you at the perfect time. Today, you posted on The Athletic what I'm hearing about the number eight overall pick. So, Joe, I'm assuming the Panthers have at least one or two directions in their mind right now in their draft and when they're having these discussions of how the draft can play out at number eight. What do you think the one or two most likely situations are? I think they want to trade back. I really do. I mean, I know there's been a lot of talk about that of late. I think that is very real. Um, it, we, it's not just Scott Fitter's background in Seattle where they did that all the time, although I think that's part of it. But this is a team, as you know, Josh, that has several needs, uh, you know, many needs. And uh, they, they gave up some of their draft capital for Sam Darnold. I think they'd like to recoup some of that and keep building this thing. Um, getting Darnold gave them flexibility. That You know, he, he may be the answer at quarterback. He may not be. But at least in the short term, it does provide them uh, uh, an ability to be flexible. I think they like the corners. I, mm. I think they need a left tackle, very obviously. I don't think Panay Sewell's going to be there at eight. Um, I'm trying to figure that the hardest evaluation for me has been uh, Slater at Northwestern. 
obviously he's a very good player, but, but is he a guard or a tackle? I mean, I know you've studied his film and I'd love to know what the Panthers think of him because if they Me love, him, they love him at tackle, <laughs> then I think he's the pick. Uh, if they're a little, if he's a guard, then I think maybe a corner or trade back. Yeah. And it's a loaded offensive line class. So I would love to know their evaluations of people like Christian Darisaw or, you know, Jink, Kevin Jenkins. And, and if they think they're in the same tier or close to it as Panay Sewell. And Joe, before we move on, I, I do want to talk through the quarterback possibility. Because as soon as they made the Sam Darnold trade, at least in my head, I thought, well, if they never traded up to number three, then they don't love any of the quarterbacks outside of Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. Then the other possibility could be, I mean, there's a much bigger difference moving up to number three and giving up multiple first round picks to get there versus just sitting back at number eight and letting someone fall to you that you still like enough. Do you think that there's one quarterback that they like enough to take at number eight? I think it would be Fields. Uh, I don't get the impression that they like Jones and or Trey Lance enough to do that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think you know they they were both a Fields pro days for whatever that's worth. Uh, they've they've done their homework and diligence on all these guys. Like to be clear, but uh, just the sense I get is that Fields is intriguing for them. Now, hmm. is he intriguing enough for them to take him at eight? And, and let him compete with with Darnold. I don't know. I mean that. I'm with you. Like, if they were really in love with one of those guys, then they pull off the trade, uh, you know, and go up to three, like San Francisco did. And they did. Uh, you know, I had reported a couple weeks ago that that Fitter did talk to Miami about you know what it would take, and they thought it was uh, that the, the Panthers thought it was just too rich for their blood. It was more. Hmm too big a move, which again, I, I think kind of shows you where they think Sam Darnold would stack up against this draft, against these quarterbacks in this draft, so to speak. And, and I, I think that's a decent comparison because he is so young. I mean, he's younger, younger than Joe Burrow by six. Right. So it may not work. I mean, it, it, you know, it's calculated gamble with Darnold. Um, it, you know, they're, presumably going to take on another 19 million of, of the 2022 uh, salary when they pick up his fifth year option. But, uh, but, but that's my sense is they're there. They want to roll and see if Darnold can do it. But if to answer your question, any of the quarterbacks in this draft, I think would be fields. What about their second pick? And I'm kind of noticing that they ha- might have a need for another receiver and do you have anyone in mind for that spot? Obviously, Curtis Samuel filled a pretty unique role, but I think that DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson are versatile enough, especially with Christian McCaffrey, where they don't have to find an undersized slot receiver that can win underneath. I think they can go find a big body guy if that's who they choose. Do you think that receivers at the top of their list too? I think it's a possibility. I, in most of the mocks that I've done where I have taken a, a corner in the first round, then I'm looking like Josh said at a tackle early in the yep. and, uh, and 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 kind of vice versa. If if there's mm-hmm. been a mock where Sewell fell, which I don't think is going to happen, um, then I'll take um, a corner in the second. So, but listen, receiver certainly an option. Um, I was looking at wideouts kind of a little farther down in the draft, like a shy Smith out of South Carolina. He had a pretty decent week in mobile with Matt rule and his staff. Uh, but you know, anything's on the table. I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, Robbie Anderson is, is entering a contract year. Uh, they're going to have to pay DJ Moore here pretty soon, which I think they'll do. They did pick up David Moore uh, from Seattle. So I don't think it's a, a huge need, but best player available, I, I, I would not rule it out. From the outside looking in, Joe, the Panthers have had somewhat of unprecedented turnover over the last three or four years. I mean, you have new ownership, then a new head coach, then a new general manager. Um, I know you have heard things that happened in that draft room last year and decisions that have made over the last year. So I guess – Simply, like, who is making the decisions with these draft picks? Is it Matt Rule and how he's building the roster? Is it Scott Fitterer? Because that is technically a general manager's role. And we know that David Tepper, among owners in the league, certainly is more involved with player personnel than maybe other of his peers 
across the NFL. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, this whole quarterback conversation started with David Tepper in December, uh, pretty much, you know, shooting the, the, the shot across the bow at Teddy Bridgewater. Right. And we've seen it unfold from there. So listen, I've, I've reported probably others have too, that in the general manager search, uh, Matt Rule and David Tepper were, weren't always on the same page. They, they kind of had their own guys mm. that were, they were looking at. And I think Fitterer is a consensus builder. And that, that's I've had several people around the league kind of describe him as such, that he you know, really knows, you know, kind of can get along with everyone kind of thing. And so I think it will be a joint decision. But make no mistake, Matt Rule is going to have a heavy hand in this. He did last year. He, he will again this year. Um, you know, I, I, I think they'll be on the same page, but but that doesn't happen all the time. I mean, you know, I, I'm thinking back uh, to the draft where, where they took McCaffrey and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Dave Gettleman until the very last minute, seemingly, or the last day was a, a Fournette fan. So um, it, it'll be interesting, but, but, but certainly Matt Rule – I mean, you can kind of see him building this like Seattle, too, and, and, and Pete Carroll with the college influence. I mean, getting guys like a Miles Hartsfield who can play both sides of the ball. Like, nobody does that, really. Yeah. Yeah. Miles Hartsfield's played in NFL games last year at offense and on defense. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Before we get you out of here, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so let's just you know lay out – Maybe the two likely scenarios. If Panay Sewell is there at number eight, that has to make the most sense, right? Yeah. Because they've just been searching for that position, it feels like, for years and years. And if not, we don't know the evaluation for Sean Slater. And so having, what, just seven or eight draft picks right now, trading out with Scott Fitterer's background and just accumulating more picks, maybe into the teens, might be the second most likeliest option? I think so. It, okay. It- you're right. I mean, you got to find that sweet spot. You don't want to draft. You don't want to trade out of the top ten and be at nineteen, reaching for somebody. I mean, we've heard Fitterer very clearly say he thinks there's a drop off in talent. This was the philosophy in Seattle at about seventeen or eighteen. That that after that, that's why they were so willing to trade back all the time. They did not see in Seattle much difference between eighteen and say forty. Right. And, so I don't, I don't, if they trade back, I don't think it'd be, I, I keep, you know, I keep hitting up our, our Patriots guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jeff, Jeff Howe's going to be getting tired of hearing from me. <laughs> but he's more than willing to, you know, you know, the Patriots potentially the Eagles at 12 could be mm-hmm. a trade up, which is kind of weird after they traded back to come back in. But, uh, I don't, I just, there's no way Scott Fitter, in my mind, makes it through this entire draft Thursday night without trading back and and adding some more picks. I I keep throwing out the Chargers at 13, like if Sewell was there to reunite him with Justin Herbert and just Tom Telesco's vibe of giving off and wanting players who have been at the top of his board for like the entire year. So that one makes a lot of sense to me. But in that case, they'd obviously have to pass on Sewell at number eight. Joe Person, fantastic. Love talking to you. Everyone out there, go and check out his excellent work over at The Athletic. Joe, thanks so much. Appreciate you, buddy. Appreciate it. And thanks for making me feel old. The Denver Broncos sit at number nine overall. GM George Payton just finished a pre-draft press conference. And so we have to get Ben Albright on here to break it all down for us. Ben, what did you learn from one of those wonderful pre-draft press conferences? Absolutely nothing, just like we always do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of pablum, general manager speak, you know. Uh, no, I, I thought uh, I thought he did give a couple of answers that I thought were pretty good. Um, that he specified that the Broncos have not made any phone calls whatsoever about trading up. And they've had one call about a team trying to come back. And, I, you know, I mean, we know who the team is. So, you know, I, I think that helps dispel some of the rumors uh, that are out here. That's not to say that um, – and I know everybody's pegging a quarterback to the Broncos. And it's not to say they won't take one. But I think a very specific one has to fall to them for, the, for them to take one. And I think that kind of – for me, it seems like that's what they're really kind of laying the, the breadcrumbs out for. When I'm when I'm looking at the roster, I, I would guess that that would be Trey Lance, just because they, I think they want to give Drew Locke a chance. The defense is legit; they have the weapons. They're kind of just 
want to give Locke just a couple more starts, see what he's got. And then if if not, Trey Lance comes in. And if Drew Locke's good, guess what? You can trade one of these two guys next offseason. I would guess that Trey Lance makes the most sense on paper. I would agree with that. Um, I, I would think that that is, I don't, I don't know the answer, but I think that's the answer. Um, and it just makes the most sense the way this thing is shaken out. You know, they, they kind of went with the Matt Stafford thing. They were kind of in on that deal a little bit, but they didn't want to give up Locke in that particular exchange because they felt like they could still develop him behind Stafford and, and then have an option when both their contracts ran out, you know, which way they go. Do they go with the young guy? Do they go, is Stafford still viable, et cetera? Obviously they didn't get Stafford. So it's a good point, but um, it, it seems to kind of, you know, parallel their plan so far is that they, they don't really, um, they don't really want to give up lock, but at the same time, they want to make sure that they're doing the best that they can to improve that room. And so I think those are not mutually exclusive concepts. And it seems to be for local fans, they seem to be, but inside the building, I think they would like a scenario where Drew Lock comes in and balls out next year as a Josh Allen, like jump, you know, and, and, and then you, you, you've got that plus Trey Lance. Well, what a bad problem to have, you know, two quarterbacks, we could probably trade one and get great picks for it. So I, I think that that's kind of the way that they look at it. Well, Ben, I know you have your ear to the ground. I know you have your ear to your cell phone. Do you even think that Trey Lance gets to number nine overall? Uh, I don't. Um, right. In fact, I'm not, sure, I'm not I'm not sure he gets to number five. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's gone at three or four personally, but – you know, hey, stranger things have happened. I've been wrong before. I'm sure I'll be wrong again. Um, I, and that's just based on conversations that I've had. I'm, I'm reasonably confident that, uh, that Trey Lance is either the pick at three or the pick at four. And who is making the decision at quarterback? Like for years, we've heard from the outside, it's, it's John Elway. Uh, now, what I've been told is that this is George Payton's room. But is John willing to give up control of his position? Like, is is he willing to dish all the responsibility to George Payton. Well, he has. Uh, that's the thing. Good. John Elway almost completely abdicated. This it is the George Payton show, and it has been since he, since he stepped in here. And that was kind of the George's kind of condition, I think, on taking the job. It's just that um, you know he's had options and offers before, and he wanted the right situation, the right setup, and this just kind of appeared to be. And it was a natural, you know, kind of transition point for John Elway. Been here for a decade, and the first half of the decade went really well. The second half, they just couldn't find the quarterback, and you know, maybe a fresh set of eyes is is just kind of the way to do that. So. Um, you know, I, I think Elway is in that room and there to lend his uh, institutional knowledge over the last 10 years. But he, by all accounts, has remained largely silent and deferred to George Payton on everything. Yeah, I was writing some uh, team needs preview for every single team. And for among the teams that aren't universally looked at as a playoff team, the Broncos sure as hell don't have too many actual team needs. So let's assume that the five quarterbacks or four of the quarterbacks are gone and the Broncos aren't in the quarterback market. They're going to be able to pick either probably one of the top two tackles, probably the only defensive player that's on the board for them. Maybe it's Micah Parsons. Maybe it's a corner. What do you think they do at nine if quarterback is not on the market? I'm, I'm sure that trading down is a pretty viable option, too. Yeah, I think trading down is the preference across the board. I, I, I'm I don't, I'm not going to say I'm 100% sure they're not trading up, but I'm 99% sure they're not trading up. Um, if something changes, it changes. But as it sits right now, I don't think they're making a move to get up at all. So uh, basically sitting there at nine, um, if they're if they're locked into staying at nine, I, I would suggest that Slater would probably be at the top of their board. Um, uh, Rashawn Slater, the, the versatile offensive lineman at Northwestern. If not, I, I think I really think that they would like to move back. I really, you know, George has mentioned a couple of times about building the war chest. Uh, and I really think he'd like in his first year as general manager to kind of build a bevy of picks over the course of the next couple of years to give him that draft versatility that he can kind of roll forward year to year going forward. Um, they don't have a lot of holes. They really don't. I mean, there are things that they need. Uh, they do need inside backers. They do need uh, uh, some depth at safety. Uh, the corners are on short-term contracts, a right tackle. Those are kind of the areas that you're looking at. But um, there's not something that just jumps out at you right away. As far as Parsons goes, you know, I don't know. The off-field stuff I, I, is yeah. pretty concerning. They, they liked his on-field, but the off-field stuff, I don't think it checked out for them the way they wanted um and then yeah like parsons best projection really is like a will at a 43 more than um it, it is is kind of a, a vic fangio you know kind of kind of might backer it, I, don't, I don't think that's the best fit for him he's really better he's honestly better going downhill than he's away from the ball he's not like that matchup guy with like a tight end he's got a great athleticism but he's not really a coverage guy like zavin collins for instance so uh, i think if they move, i think they'd like to move backwards and look at potentially um you know, a JOK or a Zayvon Collins, something like that, uh, and build the draft picks. We've talked to the Lions beat. They want to trade down. We've talked to the Panthers beat. They potentially want to trade down. Now we're talking to someone who's very in tune with the Broncos, and they potentially want to move down as well. So, Ben, my question is, who's moving up? And why is it the Chicago Bears for Mac Jones? 
There you go. There it is right there. Stole the answer right out of my mouth. Yeah, that would be- that's that's um that that is one and they have made those calls. Um Washington, keep your eye on them. Moving up if the right quarterback were to fall, they would be very much in the mix. Now it would be for Mac, but there would be there are other quarterbacks that they're interested in. Um there are, you know, there are a couple of teams I think that would consider that New England is another one that would move up. Um so, you know, kind of keep your eye on on those teams. Um one of the other teams you got to keep your eye on. I know Pittsburgh really likes Najee Harris. Uh, I don't think they're coming all the way up that high to get Najee Harris, but there are teams in front of them that are also interested. And so that might be something to kind of keep your eye on as you see teams kind of try to jockey in front of each other. Uh, we talked about Parsons a minute ago. The Raiders very much love Parsons. Um, hmm. You talk about uh, the Chargers love Penny Sewell. Uh, that, that could be a situation where somebody could come up. So there, there are options in terms of teams that may want to come up. Yeah, it sounds like it's not just the quarterback. There could be some small moves. Like I'm looking at possibly like the Eagles can move up a couple spots, even if that's just for a, the remaining receiver. I think Penny Sewell, a trade up for the Chargers to Penny Sewell makes so much sense. You talked about the running backs. What's up with Melvin Gordon? Is there any chance he's going to be missing games? How did the Broncos view Melvin Gordon? Just talk about this year. Of course, this is a fantasy podcast. We got to get the Melvin Gordon takes. Yeah, I think they really like Melvin Gordon. Um, I think he came on strong at the end of last year. Um, he had a couple of fumbles early, and that was kind of a, a big-time problem. Obviously, uh, he had some off-field last year with the DUI, but that's been adjudicated. It looks like he's not going to miss any games for that unless the league hands down some some kind of punishment. Um, so they, they like what they got out of him, but I don't. I think he's like a one-year player for the Broncos. You know, I mean, at his cost, I think he's like he's the feature back this year. And if you look at Pat Shermer offenses, he kind of you know he kind of prefers that bell cow. Um, I, I think he's the feature back for them this year. Uh, but I, I do think that they are seriously looking in the draft at running backs as well. I think they would be in play for Najee Harris if they went back far enough. Um, I, I think that they would uh, very much be in play for him. I know they like him. You know, they they were pleased with Melvin in the back half of the season. They just didn't really care um, about you know th- that first half of the season where the fumbles and everything else. Here we are at the back of the top ten. That means we must bring on Jeff Cavanaugh, someone who's very close. This Cowboys team does excellent work on the draft. Jeff. Cowboys offense started out wonderfully last year. Dak Prescott, CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup. So much fun. Then it obviously took a dive as soon as Dak went down injured. So here at Pick 10 in a draft that I think is very top-heavy, where do you think are the positions of need that they could target at the selection? Oh, I think the Cowboys are, first of all, I'd like to commend them and chastise them at the same time for um, – <laughs> They are not very leaky this year. I know a lot of people, and I generally can find things, but now I'm just using common sense. But my common sense is saying, even though the offense wasn't good last year, it was because your offensive line was hurt and your quarterback was hurt. Your defense was bad last year because you didn't have good football players and you had an awful coach and you had an awful plan the whole time, offseason included. So um, I think it makes all the sense in the world that the Cowboys are staring at number 10, fully anticipating that they're going to be picking Patrick Sertan. And mm. if that's not available, perhaps that they are going to be uh, picking J.C. Horn. That would be my initial thought. My secondary thought is, let's see what happens in the first nine. Because if we drop a world where, let's say, Sertan goes nine or somewhere, or even that he doesn't, but what happens to Kyle Pitts what happens to Panay Sewell? What happens to Rashawn Slater? I think are things they would have to consider if you get to 10 and any of those are available. Do you think that edge rusher would be probably too early? It doesn't seem like there's an edge rusher that's willing to, or that should be drafted that high. To me, it seems like Sertan is the lights out pick. If not him, I think JC Horn would be an awesome pick. I could actually see Jerry Jones falling for JC Horn and his like really rare athleticism. Obviously, Sertan's a great athlete too. Uh, do you think that, that it's just corner if it's going to be defense? I think, see, I, I drop these scenarios in my head where I try to think like Jerry. And when I, try to, think, when I try to think like Jerry, I end up talking like Jerry. And so then, <laughs> I, end up, <laughs> so in, then I end up in this place where I go like, uh, uh, well, uh, 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 that Micah Parsons now, that Micah Parsons, he sure does fly around. I think we could sell a lot of Parsons jerseys and we could and did and will and we will and did. <laughs> And then, like, are you on a yacht while you're doing this? Yes, yes. <laughs> no, I'm on a, I just called a boat. It's my dinghy. Yeah. Um, I'm a little floaty here. in the pool. Yep, yep. Now, <laughs> so like, it kind of made me raise an eyebrow when Daniel Jeremiah did a mock and he gave him quitty pay 
And I was just like, don't do this to me. Don't tell me that Jeremiah's got somebody and that there's interest there. Um, I just, I really struggle thinking that any of these edge guys are worthy of the 10th pick. And even if they were, mine's not quitty pay. So they love drafting defensive ends and they love drafting corners. It's two things that they love to do. But this particular year, I think that corner is easily the bigger need. And so it lines up better. And I just, I don't think there's an edge that, that belongs in the conversation. There's not a D tackle that belongs in the conversation. I don't think there's a linebacker that belongs in the conversation, but again, I could see Jerry thinking differently. Um, and I think that's why I'm so zeroed in on corner at 10. And if not, then it, the wild card would be the Tyron Smith and Lyle Kel- Collins health. And it, to me, it's a little bit unique this year because I think that Panay Sewell or Rashawn Slater could easily, if Tyron Smith is healthy, just step in and be a kick-ass left guard. Yeah. So it's like it, it fits. Um, and Elijah Vera Tucker too. I'm just going to throw his name out there because I'm a big fan of his tape. And I think he belongs in the top 10 or 15 conversation. So as someone who's just listening and trying to piece this together, most likely it's four names. It's Sertan, it's Horn, it's Sewell, or Slater. So, Pitts. well, yeah, but I mean, I just think Pitts is almost certainly gone at four or five or six. Like, And if he goes past there, that might be the shock, the surprise of the draft. I know you're hoping to wish it into existence here. Jeff, but it worked last year with CD. I just got to do it one more time. True. Uh, again, we're on with Jeff Cavanaugh, one of five, three, the fan. You can also find out, check out his Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Jeff Cavanaugh. All right. So it's not like Dallas ends their draft at number 10. They have picked 44. They have picked 75, 99, 115, 138. We, we just discussed how, you know, the offensive line in a year or two could go from one of the best groups on paper to looking quite old and deteriorating quite quickly. Kind of saw that with Kansas City's offensive line last year after just winning the Super Bowl. But I'm sure there's plenty of other positions. We've talked about defense quite a bit, but maybe the biggest jump is going from what? Mike Nolan to to Dan Quinn. Have you looked into at all what Dan Quinn found as his critical factors back in Atlanta and maybe tried to connect those pieces here with defensive players in this draft? Well, what I worry about with that is last year the Cowboys decided that what they wanted to do is sign all the defensive tackles from Carolina after Carolina had a really bad run defense. <laughs> so you signed all their D tackles and one got hurt and the other one couldn't play. Um, and so Dan Quinn, I think we all have a picture in our mind of a guy that's running sort of a, a cover three defense where the corners are bailing and you've got a deep free safety. And so like part of my brain is thinking about, okay, where are the true free safeties in this draft? And is that a way that we should go. And then the other part of my brain is like, but the NFL changes and there's so much RPO. And if you run cover three, you get shredded by it. Is Dan Quinn smart enough to realize that? Um, So it's tough because I just have parts of my brain battling, but I do drift towards thinking about cover three, about corners that are long corners that can run corners that can play a ball in the air safeties that can play 15 yards back there and get sideline to sideline. And yeah, that affects, I think some of the names that I talk about with the Cowboys, I haven't heard them linked to Richie Grant, central Florida free safety, but I think he's a great fit. Hmm. I, I think he's a guy that at 44, if he's there, I love it. Yeah. And, and some of the names that they are being linked to, I don't think are as good a fits. Trevon Merrig. And I don't think that he's a real life deep center field free safety. And yet it's like, oh yeah, they worked out Merrig and Washington. Our Darius Washington, by the way, is my pizza party guy this year. If the Cowboys pick him, I'll throw a pizza party. He's the better <laughs> TCU. He's the better TCU. Yes. He's the better TCU safety. Just the world hates five foot seven and three quarters guys. It's unfortunate, <laughs> truly. Um, so yeah, I mean, they've got they really honestly, they have a lot of needs. Yeah. They need need a corner. They need need a free safety. Uh, the sneaky need is linebacker because talk about linebacker because like this is a position where they've just invested so heavily in over the last five years. But here we are again, even suggesting that an outside chance it might be like their fifth option at pick number ten. Well, yeah, because I think with Leighton Vanderesh, he's he's struggled to stay on the field. And so you have a first-round pick that here in a couple of weeks, you've got to decide if you're going to give him $10 million for his fifth season or if you're not. And if I'm the Cowboys, I mean, that needs to be a real discussion. I don't think that's a definitive, heck, yeah, let's go. 
And also, if I'm the Cowboys, I'm looking at Jalen Smith's contract, and I'm like, all right, so we're not getting rid of him this year, but after this year, I'd rather save that money unless he's going to show us a return to like 2018 form. So I think there's a decent chance that 12 months from today, the Cowboys would like to have two new linebackers. Hmm. And so you've got other more pressing needs probably in this moment. But as you're looking into the very near future, there's the possibility that you need a lot of linebacker help. And I hope they don't at 10, but at 44 or 75 or 99, uh, I think it's a real possibility. Well, this is a fantasy football podcast partly. So I need to ask you about Ezekiel Elliott because I think he's getting drafted a little bit later than where I'm going to be ranking him just because last year, with Dak Prescott, he was really balling out. He was like a top five fantasy running back. He's not being drafted there this year. I think some people are scared about the injury late last year. Uh, Zeke didn't look fully fully right to me just looking at him. And then Tony Pollard started mixing in a little bit. Do you think that it's going to be the classic Zeke workload? Or do you think Pollard might mix in a little bit more than usual? I think it'll be close to the classic Zeke workload. I think they like Pollard, and he brings something completely opposite of what Zeke brings, whereas Zeke will never get tackled for loss, and if it's third and one or third and goal, he'll likely get your yard. Um, he ain't going to get you 30, and Tony Pollard will do that sometimes. He can actually avoid tackles and make you some big plays, but I think that they, the Cowboys are a little bit unique, unique in this way. But like Jalen Smith, Ezekiel Elliott, these are Jerry guys. Mm-hmm. He's got T-shirts with "Feed yeah. Me." You get, like it's he's a big part of the Cowboys brand. And Ezekiel Elliott's going to get the ball. He's going to get the ball a lot. Uh, Zeke's going to get the ball more than I want him to. Okay, that's going to happen. Jeff Cavanaugh, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate you, buddy. I love you. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> All right, that's it for this episode. Again, Tuesday mock draft with Hayden Winks. Wednesday night. Live stream on the YouTube channel. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I'm in Atlanta with the Draft Network. Thursday night slash Friday morning. Recap pod here, round one with Hayden Winks. And then Saturday night slash Sunday. Recap of the whole draft pod with Hayden Winks. And then a Monday, a week from today, a very special 12-hour stream with some great people. You won't want to miss it. Big week ahead of a huge offseason. Go play an underdog. Promo code Josh Norris. Up the villa. Talk to y'all soon. See ya.